make sure that you teach your kids about personal finance because nobody taught me. And, you know, if, if I had known more about personal finance, you know, when I was 18, 19, when the stock market was at the very, very bottom, well, my net worth would be way, way higher this right now. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 185. Clark, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? Been a while since we caught up. Yeah, man. You just got back from a great trip, right? Yeah. Yeah. I took a little trip. That was nice. Nice to get away a little bit after, I guess, an accounting we call busy season, right? January through March-ish. Yeah. End of the year stuff. So nice to get away. Good stuff, man. That's awesome. So we're talking a little bit before the show just about inflation and different things that are going on in our society. And we talked about lumber prices a couple of weeks ago and then continues to rise and we're starting to see that in some other products and also seeing shortages in products. So Clark, what's your take? What's going on? Are we in an inflationary environment? Are we going to see prices continue to rise? I mean, we've seen it in real estate as well. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm no economic expert, but just what struck me today is Jenny Yellen came out and said, hey, interest rates have to rise. You know, we're starting to get in an inflationary environment and Powell said, you know, not necessarily. So I think on the outside, it's easy to look at and say we are. I mean, we interviewed a guy tonight. He has a $1.7 million house, but he bought it for a million dollars. And he's like, the market's gone crazy. And then you look at Dogecoin, right? Look at all these other... I think there's a lot of speculative investing going on. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Dogecoin and baseball cards we talked about a couple weeks ago. And it's hard to think that that doesn't create an inflationary environment. I think prices have gone up so quickly and now there's so much more money in the economy than ever before too. Well, not only that, you have a lot of these products that, you know, forever the demand didn't really slow down, but the supply has really never caught up either because the factory's closed for COVID or, you know, had some shortages from the raw materials that get put into, you know, chips, for example, that go into vehicles. And so that demand hasn't ever slowed, but the supply hasn't kept up. So naturally, that price, I mean, supply and demand economics, that price continues to go up. That equilibrium continues to drive up. We're seeing that, obviously, with several real estate, you know, single-family homes in, in multiple markets and cars and all sorts of different products. And, you know, who knows what it's going to look like, you know, a year from now, two years from now. But definitely something to pay attention to and definitely something that, you know, I think that as we discuss with our millionaires coming up, it's be an important topic going forward, just like we had the interview tonight, talking to the guy where his house has nearly doubled, you know, in seven years, basically. So, Yeah, and it's in weird stuff. I mean, one thing we've noticed is appliances. So there's yep. a shortage of appliances, and part of that is due to home building, obviously, and part of that is due to the break in supply chain, as you just mentioned. But, I mean, here in multifamily, right, we have – we buy a lot of appliances, stoves, fridges, dishwashers, and what we request we can't get right now, or there's a long wait time. And so if you need a new fridge, at least through the, the supplier that we're going through, you get what you get mm -hmm. in a sense. If you're asking for a specific size. I mean, whether it's white, black, stainless steel, I mean, in a lot of sense, you're getting what you get. So I think there's a lot of that across the board and in a lot of different industries that you don't think of. I mean, there was a Wall Street Journal article about fisheries 
and how that's been majorly affected because of the close of restaurants. So I think there's just been a lot of effect and a kind of a ripple effect through lots of different industries and different environments that we just normally don't think about on the day to day. Yeah, totally. Well, let's switch gears here. We got this new site up that we launched a couple of weeks ago. We've got a comment section. If you want to interact with any of our millionaires or their interviews, go ahead and post a comment on there and we'll get you hooked up. They're still going to remain anonymous for the most part. And there may be some that, that feel free to reveal themselves, but go on our website, millionairesandveld.com. You can get on the comment section there, interact with the millionaires. You can submit a question. If you're interested on getting on the show, Send us a little uh, email, millionairesunveiled.gmail.com, or you can get on there and submit through our website as well. So super happy to have that up. It's been a long, long, long process to get that rolling. Really, really happy to have it up. On this week's episode, we have Adam. He's 29 years old and from Poland originally, but lives in Canada now. He works in sales and has a net worth of $400,000, most of it in equities. And he has a great perspective on building wealth at such a young age and what that means for him and his family going forward. Last week, we had Ron. Ron works in the IT field. He's been targeting retirement around 60, 62 years old. It's a net worth of $1.35 million. Just under a million is in investments, mainly retirement accounts, 800401k, IRA, 403b, and the rest in some taxable accounts. And he's got 300000 in some home equity and some cash. He regrets not doing a Roth. So super interesting interview with him discussing that. We've got a few more of those in the pipeline as well where, where people didn't do Roths that are now in their 40s, 50s that wish they would have. We get into discussion with him about that and some other mistakes. We really appreciate you leaving reviews, tuning into the show. The show continues to grow, and without you listeners, this would not happen. So we appreciate you sharing it with your friends. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Adam. Adam, do you want to just give us a little about your background or what you're up to now? Yeah. So my name is Adam. I'm from Central Eastern Europe, but currently for almost five years, I've been living in Canada. I'm 29 years old and will be turning 30 fairly soon. I work in Canada in a sales position. Yeah, my current net worth about hovering around four hundred thousand dollars. Awesome. Yeah, we're gonna get right into that. So net worth of four hundred thousand dollars are living in Canada now. How is that broken up? So I just did my net worth statement today. So I do it at the beginning of each month. And since it's September first, I did that today. So about a hundred and ten thousand dollars is invested in stocks. I invest 100% in stocks. There is no bonds. I invest mostly in index funds. I have one small account where it has Canadian dividend paying companies, but it's a very small percentage of my investments. So about 16000 is in my retirement savings account that's a company match. They match about, I put 4%, they match about 62% of that. Then I have my personal retirement savings account. There is about 19000 in Canada, we have a tax-free savings account. So you put their after-tax dollars, and then you take it out tax-free, and your contribution room is still there. So you can the next year, you can put the money back in there, which is great for Canadians. So there is about $40,000, plus my wife's is four, so 44. And we also have a taxable account. What we do here is we use our home line of credit, so in Canada, the, the thing is that mortgages, interest on the mortgage is not tax deductible. So what we are trying to do here is we are prepaying our mortgage 
and then borrowing the money back and investing it in stocks because when the money is invested, then the interest on that investment on the borrowed money is tax deductible. So in that account, we've got about $30,000 and we are adding between two and $3,000 a month to that account. Interesting. I want to talk about that. It's not something that we've heard before. Is that something common in Canada that people do? Not very common. Many people are very risk averse. So I am not that risk averse, to be honest. I was, uh, you know, like having my background there from where I come from, like many people are very risk averse and many people don't have credit cards because they are like extremely risk averse. I completely changed my mindset after I started learning about personal finance. So no, we decided to take that opportunity, especially now when the interest le- uh, rates are at rock bottom, basically. Yeah, we every month we are prepaying our mortgage as much as we can. So we diverted all our cash flow that we have and also money from the rentals at, to prepaying our mortgage, main mortgage. And then we're pulling money out and investing it either to pay for the expenses for the rentals and other part to invest in the stock market. Interesting. So how did you learn about that strategy? You know, like I was geeking out on everything that's related to finance and stuff like that. And at some point, I just stumbled upon, you know, that method and, you know, started reading and reading. I mean, I I heard about it for the first time probably like a year ago or more, but I just ignored it. And then as I delved a little bit deeper into that, it just started to make a lot of sense to me. Interesting. So the money that you have invested, is that primarily in individual companies or is that a bunch of companies or how's the breakup there? So like out of the $110,000 that we have here, so the 16000 that's with my company, that's target date fund. So I have nothing to do with managing that. But the rest, oh, and I'm also not including here the accounts that my kids have for education. There is another $25,000 for them, but I'm just not including it in my net worth at all because it will be for them eventually. But everything basically is index funds like ETFs. Those ETFs in Canada, we have, they're called asset allocation ETFs. So it's basically you buy one and it's a wrap. Like in that, in that you've got wrapped like five or seven of them. And has that always been the allocation that you've had ever since you started kind of your professional career in investing? No. <laughs> I did a lot of, you know, jumping around. So that was one of the mistakes. But I guess it was something that I needed to do to learn about everything. But just after going into kind of learning about the evidence, doing the evidence-based investing, it led me to going pure indexing and just going to ETFs and just, you know, sticking with that one way. And 100% stocks. So no bonds there because we still have many years. Yeah, totally. Is the plan going forward to continue the strategy that you have going there? Or do you plan to diversify a little bit more or what's the plan going forward into the future? So my net worth when it comes to rentals is our net rentals are worth about half a million dollars, a little bit more, 560. There are still mortgages of them, obviously, but I would like to kind of make it even. So 50% of my net worth in stocks and 50% in real estate. So that will be kind of a near-term goal. One of the ways to do that would be increasing the home equity line of credit, which probably will be maxed out at around $150,000 to $180,000. Adam, let me just back up. So you have 110000 in stocks, right? Yeah. Or index funds, right? These target date retirement funds. 
What percentage of that is solely retirement accounts and what percent of that is just extra money that you've invested in the market that are outside of retirement accounts? So retirement accounts only. I mean, I basically I look at everything as retirement account. I don't really divide it into that way. So I look at whole $110,000 as retirement, but purely retirement account, that would be about $36,000. Okay, no, fair enough. It's a good answer. And then your real estate, you shared with us before the show about 280 in equity. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's about. I want to get into that because I know you have a couple rentals. How much of that 280 is in your primary residence? Oh, no, my primary residence is on top of that. Oh, in addition? Yeah, so my real estate altogether is, its worth is about $860,000. And how much equity? So my, my total real estate worth is about $280,000. Now, yeah, so my primary residence right now is about uh, $80,000. That's my equity in it, and the rest will be rentals. Is the 280 total, or that's the equity in the rentals? 280 is total in my primary residence and the rental. Okay, awesome. Good for you. So you're a little bit more, you mentioned the 50-50 goal, right? 50%, 50% in, in the stock market and real estate. So you're a little more in real estate right now, right? I am, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to go into the real estate because that's a big chunk of your net worth. But first, let's back up a little bit. And I'm curious to hear the story of who Adam is. So how did this all start? Tell us a little bit as much as you're comfortable with sharing about your upbringing and your life story a little bit. And then from there, we'll go into how you started on the personal finance journey. Okay. So I come from a family that's very well educated, but knew nothing about personal finance and how to manage their own money. Nevertheless, they pointed, they stressed, emphasized my education from the very early stages. So I graduated my, I did my bachelor's degree in my own country, and then I did my master's in the UK. From there, I moved to Spain, and I lived there for about two and a half years. And that's where I met my wife, who's Canadian. And we lived there for about half a year. And after we found out we were going to have a baby, we decided to move to Canada. And I moved to Canada in 2015, in October. And that's also the month and the year when we got married. So that's how I started. My beginnings in Canada were very miserable because I didn't have a work permit. I came exactly for the winter after living there in the constant summer for two and a half years. So that was pretty rough year in my life. But we managed. We were lucky enough to have my wife's family to help us. Just basically they gave me some work to do before I got my work permit. But once I got that, I was able to find a very good job that I'm still at right now. And yeah. Good for you. How many languages do you speak? Just curious. Four. Four languages. Fluent. Uh, well, maybe they used Pretty to be fluent at some point. Yeah. So, so my, yeah. my language, and then there was English, obviously, Spanish, that used to be much better than it is right now. And fourth is <laughs> German. German used to be good, but I haven't spoken the language for the, for quite a while, so it would take me a while to you know get back on it. Wow, good for you. So I think you have a pretty interesting story about how this all started. Obviously, a very interesting life story, but also a pretty interesting story about how your financial journey started that you shared with us. So tell us about that. Yeah, so when I came to Canada, I had some savings with me, and my wife also had some savings. So my wife's family just recommended 
a financial advisor who started to manage our money. He opened an account for us, invested them in mutual funds, which in Canada, the MERs are actually about above 2%. That's a standard. Ours were 2.4. So you can imagine. <laughs> and then one day, this advisor actually came to my work. We also have life insurance with him. So I just had to finish signing some papers. And my manager actually saw him and knew the guy. And as he left, my manager said, you know that this guy is ripping you off. And like at the beginning, I said, well, no, like he's not taking any money from us. So no, he's not. But then he started explaining it to me. And that's actually how it all began because I, that, you know, started my curiosity. Then he recommended me a bunch of books and started explaining to me how he does it, how he invests his money. And yeah, from there, that's basically, I became obsessed with that. Yeah. How did you initially even start investing in mutual funds? I guess you started working, right? Saving up some money and, and you had to put so, it somewhere? When I worked in Spain, I mean, I'm a natural saver, so that helps. And I had a bunch of savings that I brought with me to Canada. So we just used that to put into the mutual fund. And I just did whatever the guy was saying, because I had at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. So I just trusted, you know, that he did. So that's how we did it. Yeah, good for you. And then, so what did you do after that story? You pulled all the money out and went and invested on your own, or you found a different financial advisor? After that, no, that was the only financial advisor that I used. After that, I just began educating myself. I was just basically swallowing books, book after book, and reading articles, blogs, anything. I just listening to podcasts, anything I could find. In that was in 2018 in March. 2018, because I also, those investments in mutual funds, they didn't feel right from the very beginning to me because, you know, I, I had like a mismatch of information, like the returns that he was giving us. I also didn't have full access to that. So it didn't feel right, but I decided to pull all the money out. Yeah. In March 2018, I invested my first $10,000 in index funds. And awesome. that's how it all started Yeah, from there. Yeah, awesome. Good for you. And now a net worth of really over 400 Canadian, right? Because you have this education savings accounts that you don't count. So it's about 300 USD just for our listeners. Canada to, to USD right now is about 1.3 to 1. I mean, pretty amazing, Adam. And then you start this financial journey of learning. How did you know where to start? Did you just start Googling and looking up on the internet good books? You mentioned A Millionaire Next Door. Millionaire Next Door, then my manager recommended Andrew Hallam, Millionaire Teacher. So those are some basics that basically everybody mentions. Random Walk Down Wall Street, you know, like all those. I, I read basically at any point in time, I always read some book. Like there were so many of them that it's, it's hard to count. But yeah, also a lot of articles. But in all of that, I have to mention that there was also a lot of luck that was involved in that. Because my wife is also very smart. She, at the age of 19, she decided to buy her own house. It was a big risk on her part, but she decided to buy a condo with a little bit of help of her family. She started doing house hacking before it was actually cool. <laughs> so <laughs> she lived in a basement and she rented out all three bedrooms upstairs. And she was basically making money on living in her own house. Then when I came to Canada... That house was fully rented, room by room, and we decided not to move in there at first 
we decided to stay with my wife's parents because, well, I had no job and I couldn't get a job because I had no work permit, right? But after, after a while, we decided to move in to that house that she owned. When the tenants found out that we actually want to move out, move in, they destroyed the whole place. So a bunch of savings that I had, that was before I invested in, in the market. So a bunch of savings that, that we had, we had to put into renovating the whole place to make it livable again. Yeah, and we lived there for about a year. And then a great opportunity came up to buy the house that we currently live in. We bought it about $70,000 under market value it was because it was a private sale. And, well, the person didn't really know how much it was worth. So we just basically gave him, offered him what the house was typically valued at. But the actual value was 70000 more than that. So that was a great deal. So that's the luck that was involved in that because, you know, then thanks to that. And, and we kept the first house that we lived in, but we turned it into a rental. Maybe you got lucky, but you also put yourself in a position and you were willing to take the chance, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. And then we bought the second rental by using the equity in the first one, because at some point the market in my city, the real estate market just blew up because all the people from Toronto started selling their houses there and flocking into my city. So they drove prices up very significantly. So we used the equity from that house to buy the second rental. Yeah, we bought it. Actually, closing day was March 31st this year. So in the right in the oh, middle wow. of the pandemic. Congrats. Also fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very recent. And I was very desperate to find a tenant at the time. But I found him. So far, it's been good. And yeah, so now after we took out that equity from the first one, that house now is having a negative cash flow. But the new one is cash flowing so well that it's covering well above that what we were losing on the first one. So you did a refinance on the first property and pulled out some of the equity to buy the second. Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay. So back to this first home, a couple of things to ask about it. How did your wife have the money to buy it so early? That's pretty remarkable to buy it at 19. She has a very smart parents who also own two businesses. And they have told her, her dad has told her from the very young age to save money. So she's been saving, you know, like she's been working since she was probably, I don't know, like 11 or 12 at her parents' business at mm. its swim school. So she's been saving all the, like most of the money that, that she was making. So she had, and at the time, houses in my city were super, super cheap. Like at the time she bought the house, it was worth about $95,000 Canadian. Oh, wow. So Good and for her. it was about two sixty. So yeah, so she used some of some of that for down payment and then her family, her grandmother helped her a little bit, and her parents had to co sign. But at the end of the day, well, it was a very, very smart decision. Yeah, good for her. So then going back to when the tenants found out that you wanted to move in, you said they kinda of thrashed the place and oh, you yeah. had to spend did you say a year? You had to spend a year renovating it? No, no, no. So Initially, we wanted to do it ourselves, renovate it. But then my my wife's dad came there and he was like, hey, guys, no, that makes no sense because I am not handy at all. <laughs> so he, <laughs> we, he's like, he, someone could do this, but it's not you. Yeah, exactly. So he basically <laughs> recommended us a great guy who's done three of our houses. So he he basically renovated the whole place and together with his son. He was very reasonably 
Christ and he made it absolutely beautiful. So, but unfortunately, you know, like everything that all the new things that we had to put into place, all that was probably a good fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. How long did you say it took? Oh, that was probably a month. Oh, just a month. Okay. I misunderstood. So, I mean, is there anything you could have done to avoid that? Looking back at it and knowing what you know now? No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe my approach to the tenants, because, you know, where I come from, it's like, it's a little bit, <laughs> we we do it differently. But yeah, I probably was a little bit too hostile because they were not paying. They were always late. They were, you know, they were, they were trashing the place. Well, that's the, basically the mistake that we made by deciding to renting it to less well-off people, to put it nicely. No, oh, yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm, I don't really, I don't know, to be quite honest. I mean, I mean, you know what? At the end of the day, the silver lining is that after we renovated this place, it looked very, very fresh. It was like basically like a brand new house that we moved in, so like a fresh start. So that was a good feeling, at least. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that there necessarily was something you did wrong or that there was something you learned. I'm just curious if, you know, just as a lesson to other people. So then the second home, you said you bought it. It was off market or a private deal, you said. How did you find that? I think that was my wife's dad, that acquaintance. Like he knew him somehow. So yeah, he was, it was basically a house after his mom because they moved his mom to a different place. And the first time we came to the house, he didn't want to sell it because that was the house that he was raised in. He wanted to keep it. So we said, okay, you want to keep it, you keep it. But a few months after that, he came back to us and he realized that he could not afford to have his own house in this house. So he asked if we were still interested. So we jumped on it immediately. And that was the, those few months that went by. Like he actually did some nice renovations into that house, you know, like a brand new furnace and stuff. So. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good deal that we had. So Adam, you've got quite the journey here. You've been all over the world. You started getting this financial base for yourself and your family. You brought up that you've got educational savings accounts for your children. Where do you go from here? Is there a passive income goal down the road or net worth goal that you want to hit? So the the idea behind the rentals is, like I said, I have the home equity line of credit that will be growing with time. And probably in about two years' time, it will be maxed out. So the idea is that the cash flow from the properties will cover the interest payments, right? So I will be able to write off all the interest that I'm paying on the home equity line of credit. And then there was a bunch of write-offs on the rentals. And the cash flow, the positive cash flow from that is covering the interest payments on the line of credit, well, which is a perfect setup to me. But, you know, like in the in the past when we were living with my in-laws, and I was just like, I, I could not get a job at the time because of no work permit. I told myself that I will never, ever rely on anyone else. I will be self-reliant. So that was that's basically the driving force behind all of that. And I also I have seen the amount of stress that my dad had when his companies, because we mentioned that before we started recording that my dad was an entrepreneur and his companies were always on the roller coaster. So either very well or on the bottom and he would always get up and take it up and then it would fall again. So there was no ability to manage money properly. So yeah, I told myself that I would never have that much stress about money. 
So that's the biggest driving force behind it. At this point, my milestone is to reach $1 million in network. And then down the road, I want to have $1 million invested purely in the stock market. So $1 million net worth, the short-term goal or the first goal, and then a million liquid, basically in retirement accounts invested in the market or, or taxable accounts in the market is what you're saying? Yeah. Awesome. As far as the real estate goes, do you continue to build that portfolio as well? That will depend on the opportunities because market here is becoming extremely expensive. So average price for a house here, I mean, obviously average just does not uh, reflect the market exactly, but the average price in our city is about $600,000 for, for a house. So we will see if we, if there are opportunities. Obviously, I will always try to, you know, grab them, especially now using the low interest rates. But about that, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very illiquid kind of, I find it a little bit risky right now especially in this climate. So with that, I'm very slow. But if there is an opportunity, I will always get it. Let's touch on that. Has coronavirus changed the way that you think about investing or, or maybe any of your behaviors? No, not that much. Like actually, you know, whenever the market tanks, I'm not bothered by it at all. I'm actually excited for the buying opportunity. So I'm actually, I like in March and April, I got so excited that I just, you know, I, I didn't know where to put the money in because it's like it was, you know, like there were so many opportunities and it was so cheap in set, but it was such a short period of time that, you know, you had to use it or lose it. Right. So no, like I, I was lucky enough that my job was considered essential because we are a supply chain. I never lost my job. I mean, I'm pretty high up, luckily in the hierarchy. So I was, there were some people considered for layoffs, but it was not me. But we actually ended up not laying off anyone because we did very well through the pandemic. My wife's business, so my, my wife is currently running her parents' business, that, that swim school, that she will eventually take over. So she unfortunately had to close down. So we could not, yeah, she, she could not do that. So she was using the government programs that they provided. But soon she will be getting back to that. So, and actually the business is doing will be doing very well because during the pandemic that one of the pools that they were renting offered them full ownership. That will be the first privately owned pool swim, the swim school in the city. So there was a huge opportunity there for the business. Wow. So when the market was dropping in March and April, did you add any more or try to take advantage of that? Oh yeah. I added a lot. I added quite a lot. I mean, I, I don't know from top of my head, don't remember how much it was exactly, but I was also very cautious and kept quite a lot of cash because, you know, there was so much uncertainty that we did not really know what's going to happen. So I kept that cash for a while, but then slowly, you know, as, as the things started to relax a little bit, we, I was adding more and more. I'm just curious, you mentioned the government help or subsidies. What did they do in terms of subsidies for coronavirus in Canada? Well, they, they introduced a lot of programs, but the one that we were using is called Canada Emergency Response Benefit. So it's basically, no matter who you are, I mean, there are some prerequisites and some requirements that determine whether you are eligible or not, but it's basically a person who is eligible gets every month $2,000. And this is taxable. So at the end of the year, you know, like 
you get two thousand dollars, but you probably have to set aside a few hundred dollars, you know, to cover the taxes later on next year. And you said monthly. How long did that last, or is it still ongoing? This is September is the last payment, and after, I mean, technically it lasts till October, but it depends when you started. If you started at the very beginning, your last payment is now in September. So at the end of September, it's done for us. And it started when? April or May? So it's five or six months. So five or six months of payments? End of March. End of March. Okay. So yeah, so six or seven. So wow, you guys, 2000 a month. I mean, I guess we had one subsidy, right? 1200 I think there's talks to be another one. We're recording this September 1st, 2020. So we'll see what happens there. But pretty interesting. Just curious. So Adam, just to wrap up, a couple of last questions here. Has your growth and net worth you know, you mentioned to us you were seventy thousand in two thousand fifteen. So five years later, it's that's, grown that's about. Including, that's including the house that my wife owned. Okay, so still, I mean, you're about three hundred, three hundred and thirty, or forty thousand dollars higher over five years. It's about seventy five thousand dollars a year, right? An increase, yeah. pretty good. I mean, has that increased your happiness levels, your confidence levels? Are you happier now with the money? And what's oh, your definitely. overall take there? Definitely, yeah. Like that, that you know, gives me the peace of mind that I know that you know if if something really terrible happens, we'll be good with that. And you know, also like the setup that I have at my work is my salary. I'm on a salary. It's not very high, but in general, my salary is fairly high because one month in a year we get profit sharing. So it's this massive paycheck that comes once a year into my account. So we had to learn how to live on a smaller salary. We still live comfortably and like we go to restaurants or take, get takeout and all that. Like we do all the attractions, you know, I play tennis, go to the gym. My kids have all the activities. So it's not like we are living. Right. 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 Um, yeah. Living in school or yeah, not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not yeah. spending any money. Uh, but, but you know, we had to learn how to manage our money. But then when this massive paycheck comes in, once a year profit sharing, you know, that's basically I can use it all to invest, right? So my savings rate is basically 40 to 45% after tax of money. So yeah, so that's, that's very helpful. Nice. How much do you spend annually, your household spending annually? So the way we do it with my wife is because my wife, it's worth mentioning that she has never in her entire life made more than $30,000 a year. And that's also a choice because the way we set up her work is that she can stay with the kids and raise the kids so we don't have to spend on daycare and stuff like that. So we, the way we do it is because I'm, my salary is about right now will, will be about $80,000. So okay. we divide our expenses in half. So she pays half. I pay half. Well, I pay a little bit more than that because there is also food and stuff. But then everything that we save, we save from my salary. My expenses, my own expenses, because I track only my expenses, that's about $25,000 a year. I include $5,000 for any unexpected stuff. My wife's probably ten to 15000 so yeah, like $40,000, $45,000 a year, Canadian. Okay, nice. So just wrapping up here, Ad, any last words of advice or any mistakes that you wish you would have handled five years ago and, and just starting out here on their financial journey? So... Probably one of the mistakes was that I did not start earlier. I mean, my journey is fairly short at the moment, two and a half years, right? So it's not that long. So 
there were not that many mistakes on the way there at the moment. I'm sure that I will make many more. Yeah, probably starting earlier. That's that's the big one. If I can, you know, give advice to people who have kids and are listening to that and are basically like my age or around that, make sure that you teach your kids about personal finance because nobody taught me. And, you know, if, if I, if I had known more about personal finance, you know, when I was 18, 19, when the stock market was at the very, very bottom, well, my net worth would be way, way higher this right now. So that's a big one. Start early. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Adam. Really appreciate your time. Net worth of about 400,000 Canadian. Really appreciate it. Amazing story. Speak, what'd you say? Four different languages, right? Yeah, I do. And and well on your way to becoming a millionaire. So we'll have to have you come on again when you're a millionaire. But thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it and, and stick with it. Amazing story. Thank I'll you. I'll definitely let you know once I hit my million. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.